Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wizarding Hour. I'm Devin Person. I'll be your wizard today. And behind me is Sophie65, who I'm just really excited to share their music with all of you. Uh, we met because Andrew used to carve wizards and was vending them at a craft fair where Ash picked one up. That's you! <laughs> Okay, I got obsessed with this guy. And Ash got really, really excited about them and gave me one. And I was like, well, I'm a wizard. This guy's carving wizards. We should hang out. You're so good. And so I think it's been like a couple of years and a couple of tacos. And we finally uh, brought this together. So I've been looking forward to it all week and thinking about like, how do I want to introduce this this magic, this music to, to you all? And I was puzzling over that when I had this really funny kind of like quintessential New York experience. I went out for drinks with coworkers and had a couple of drinks and then I was going to meet other friends at another location. So I had like a nice buzz and then was getting on the subway. And I don't know if anyone else has experienced this, but there's that moment when you have just that nice buzz and you're like, everything's awesome. Like everything is just so great. Like everything's coming together. It's not like drunk. It's not like coming home and you're like, I'm wasted. You're like, I'm just so positive and just like, everything's great and I'm great and the world's great and I'm on the subway and I'm like, all of these people are great. They all got their own stories. This is awesome. And then this guy gets on in this full psychedelic cosmic cowboy outfit. Just like, like he was going to go do a Vegas stage show that was also a rodeo. And it's got like sequins and gold tassels and boots. And he sits down across from me and I'm just like, he's great. <laughs> this guy is freaking great. And I'm just like beaming and just like sending all this love to him and smiling. And he looks up and he smiles back at me. And we have this like, you know, we're sitting directly across from each other. We have this like eye contact moment. <laughs> and then he just goes, I'm glad you're here. Aww. And I'm like, okay, okay, cool. All right. Like, 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 like taking a moment to process. And he goes, I'm glad it's you. And then he starts to sing. <laughs>
So we finished singing. And I was like, wow, that was beautiful. I've, I've never heard a song quite like it. And he says, well, my grandfather taught it to me, actually. I moved to New York City in the early 1960s with my parents when my family immigrated from the moon. And the rest of my family stayed behind, so I, I never saw them again. But I was about six or seven when we left, and so I have some faint memories of what it was like growing up among those dusty craters and chasing the low G jackrabbits that would bound 75 feet in a single hop <laughs> across the surface. And each night, the whole village would come together, and we'd all howl at the earth, and then we'd go sit on my grandfather's porch while he'd sing us songs. And the one night that stands out so clear in my memory is after my grandmother, his, his wife, died of space tuberculosis. And it was, it was hard for him, it was hard for everybody in that community. And we're sitting there in mourning, and he took out his guitar and he started to play.
And on those cold lunar nights, after he finished playing guitar, Grandpa would tap out his pipe on the heel of his right boot, and everyone would ask him to tell the story about the dream. The dream that everyone in the village had every night. The same dream, all of them. And yet still, they liked the way that Grandpa told it best, so they'd clamor, tell us, tell us about the dream again. And when he started to talk, he'd always start the exact same way. I was alone in the world, but I didn't know as much. And I felt the ground shifting under my feet. Long scales twisting and turning as I realized I stood atop a giant snake, infinitely long, chasing its tail around and around. And then the snake began to sing.
Now that snake dream and that song pops up again and again in different human cultures all throughout the world, time after time. Almost as if it was some sort of primordial idea that was scratching at the cellar door of our world, trying to push its way in. And of all these different tales and legends, my favorite is about an ancient snake sea god that lived under the waves in this dark gray sea. And the people who lived on the windswept hills just east of it called it the serpent that never sleeps. And every nine years, they would have a series of games and contests to determine who their three bravest, strongest, fiercest warriors were. And these warriors would compete against each other and battle, and it was a great honor because what you won was the chance to serve in the serpent god's army to keep the other darker things under the sea at bay. So the whole village would stand on the shore and coronate these warriors and put flowers and other uh, lovely precious stones and metals on them and anoint them with oils. And then they would get them into their canoe and watch them sail off into the gray mist as they sang this song.
So the warriors rode out into the mist as the shore and everyone they'd ever known faded away behind them. And they rode for three days and three nights, which they could tell because the light would get dark and get light. But other than that, it was just all gray mist in all directions over the choppy waves that they rode on top of. And they were waiting for the serpent god to come and meet them and invite them into his kingdom. But after three days, they were just still paddling out into the nothingness. But none of them wanted to admit that they were afraid because that would obviously make them not a good candidate. And then the serpent god clearly wouldn't come. So they all just kept paddling, but less and less as the days went on and their strength faded away until they were merely adrift. For days and days, each privately struggling and wondering why the serpent god had not come yet. Had they done something wrong? Everyone who had come before had joined the army. They knew it from the tales. What was happening to them? And after 23 days, the youngest, who was only 15, died. And they had to push his body over the side and watch it float and sink down beneath the waves. And the second warrior, who was the youngest brother, lasted two more days before he decided he was going to go after him, climbed over the side, swam off into the mist, and was nowhere to be seen. So the last warrior is floating in the empty boat by himself, dying of hunger. And through the mist, then he sees a beautiful maiden walking towards him, her feet touching the water so lightly, approaching him, and he feels this glow light up within him as she starts to sing.
And the maiden took the warrior by the hand and pulled him out of our world of flesh and blood and substance and into the other world, the world of ideas. And they traveled to the campfire of his people, but not his people, his people's children and their children, where the story about him and the other warriors was told each night and grew and changed over time, becoming a myth, becoming a legend. And so he inhabited those words in that circle. And as his village grew and the people spread out, eventually they named a rock that jutted out over the sea after him. And even though he'd never been to this place, he became the spirit of that place and existed there, observing and being a part of all that happened. And time continued to pass and move, and civilizations rose and fall. And then a subdivision was built that decided to take its name from that rock just over yonder. And so he became the spirit of that place and existed in the homes and driveways and minivans of the subdivision and was a part of that world. Until one of the children that lived in the subdivision went off to college and got a degree in marketing and moved to the big city and got an ad agency job. And while working late into the night for this very finicky yogurt client, finally <laughs> said, screw it, and pitched the idea of this story he remembered hearing as a kid about where the name of the subdivision came from. And so he pitched that and the yogurt company went for it. And so the warrior became the face, not his real face, but this cartoon version of his face became the image plastered onto yogurt containers, filling grocery store aisles, refrigerators. And they had this jingle. Uh oh. That was so catchy. It wanted something like this.
So at this point, I've still got a pretty good buzz on. And I'm looking up at this yogurt ad on the subway, and I'm talking to this cowboy, and we're just chit-chatting. And he tells me about how, after his family moved here, he got a job at a bottling plant out in Queens. And he was working there while he went to grad school and got his architecture degree license uh, and got a job in Manhattan doing architecture. And this was during the 1970s. So he would go out and party at the discos all night long, then come into work and sleep at his drafting table from like until 2 p.m., at which point he would wake up and then he would just bust ass and just get all of his stuff done so that he could leave. And because he was so fast that he could do it, no one really gave him a hard time. So he was just always out dancing and living that disco lifestyle. And that's what he's doing tonight is once a year, he gets dressed up and he goes out to dance in the clubs and to feel that music and that rhythm and that life so he knows that he's still got it because as he said, you never know when it's going to slip away.
I'm the wizard Devin Person. Andrew and Cooper are Sophie 65. And together we are Bravest Warrior Brand Low Cow Yogurt! <laughs> Thank you everyone for coming. We're glad you're here. <laughs>